Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. What was your biggest problem with the Confederate monuments in Gettysburg? I think there was a lot of glorification for a cause that we know to be wrong. I feel like after having done the research a little bit more and knowing when those monuments were erected for a cause that we definitely knew was wrong, I feel like it was sort of like gaslighting, like a lot of the inscriptions, like the glorious cause of yada, yada, yada. I can't remember if that was exact phraseology on inscriptions, but I don't think there's anything to be glorified about slavery. So I feel like that was really, really problematic. What about you? The way they were contextualized was absolutely intentional. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that burns me up is how they were contextualized. Right and what those placards say. It's like we need a placard in front of the placard. Right. Now. Thank you. You just kind of beat me to that point. I'm but, like, yeah. NPS, where are we on this? Like, yeah. sorry not to come for you, but like, maybe it's worth it to put something up that's just like, hi, yeah. this was this monument was erected at a time during the civil rights movement when people were fighting for the rights of black Americans. It just feels like it was such a slap in the face to that and very pointed in the action of it. I just feel there needs to be some sort of, I don't want to use the word disclaimer, but that's what it sort of seems like, walking up yeah. to those monuments and being like, okay, and I'm going to just throw this back to you, just even thinking about Gettysburg, you're like, I didn't really learn about the Battle of Gettysburg in school. So how many people are coming to these spaces and not having that educational experience prior to, and then being like, oh, well, the glorious, you know, sons of Florida dying for the noble cause of, you know, the Confederacy. And I'm just like, that's not a great message to like continue to perpetuate. No, no, not at all, obviously. And yes, my fear too is that people can stroll up into this space and see these things that are celebrated. Right. And feel like... And have no context and feel like, oh, this is... I feel like I'm supposed to celebrate this 
now or also continue the celebration. Right. But there is a long, complicated history of exactly how those Confederate statues got there. As we've said in our trail mix monumental failures, we don't believe that we can erase the Confederacy from history. Absolutely not. But the way we teach about the Confederacy Mm -hmm. is absolutely something that we can do a lot better now than was done before. Right. And teaching about the Confederacy now also includes teaching about how people chose to remember the Confederacy and what action happened in order to remember the Confederacy Mm -hmm. and what remembering the Confederacy, I say with hand quotation marks, Mm -hmm. I promise actually represents and what that means. Yeah. Because it is a guise for racism, bigotry and hatred. And if that isn't clear going in, the narrative will be spun yet again of this thing being noble and righteous and something to be proud of. Looking for adventure, I want to follow on the trail Or get a little lost and let the wind fill my sails Get up when the stars still fill the sky, don't wake the sun There's so much to be done, and the day has just begun Go where the postcards are real, you can feel You can open your eyes, and open your heart when you get at the National Park. At the National Park. At the National Park. Follow you, I'll follow you there. Four score and seven years ago. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they fought here to have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have new birth of freedom, and that government, 
of the people, by the people, and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Welcome to Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. The podcast that brings you one hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. And this episode is the last in a three-part series of episodes all about the National Military Park in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. What you just heard was one of the most famous speeches in American history, the Gettysburg Address, penned and read by Abraham Lincoln at the dedication of Soldiers National Cemetery in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, November 19th, 1863. And that was also the audio that you just heard was Abraham Lincoln's voice. Right. (laughs) This speech is something that speaks beyond the boundaries of the Civil War and to a greater sense of what America is or what Abraham Lincoln hoped America to be. As you heard in our last episode, Abraham Lincoln visited the town of Gettysburg in order to give this address at the dedication of the National Cemetery there. But how did we get from one of the most important battles of the Civil War to a National Cemetery? Well, it took about four months from the time that the battle ended to the dedication ceremony, so it all came together pretty quickly, and for good reason. First of all, in the aftermath of the battle, thousands of bodies remained in the fields and wooded areas of Gettysburg. Not only were there dead people, but horses as well, and thousands of wounded individuals, some of them mortally wounded. While the armies had moved on, the task of dealing with the aftermath fell squarely in the hands of the people of Gettysburg, with a population of about 2,400. Only some of this population was able to assist in the burials that were needed, while others worked to tend to the wounded. The town's situation was made worse as the rail lines had been destroyed by the Confederates and along with them, the telegraph lines which connected them to the outside world. This along with the fact that over 150,000 men had utilized a large majority of major resources left the town in somewhat dire straits. Many private businesses, homes, churches, and barns became space to tend to the wounded and serve as operation rooms with the aid of as many field medics that were left and townspeople who could help. Burials commenced quickly for fear of an epidemic. Because of the magnitude of bodies to bury, oftentimes the graves that were dug were shallow ones without proper headstones or identifiers. As the summer dragged on, heavy winds and rain exposed many of the graves that had been dug, working against the people of an already devastated Gettysburg. With the aid of David Willis, whose home Lincoln stayed at prior to giving the Gettysburg Address, and the support of Governor Curtin of Pennsylvania, a site was chosen at Cemetery Hill to act as a burial place for the Union soldiers who perished at Gettysburg. With the purchase of this land, the reburial of these soldiers from the shallow graves to a final resting place took place in late October of 1863. Confederate soldiers were not set to be interred at Soldiers National Cemetery in Gettysburg. Therefore, in the late 1800s, these Confederate dead were moved to cemeteries in states like Georgia and Virginia. Some weeks after the process of reburial began, the dedication services were planned with Massachusetts statement and orator Edward Everett delivering the main speech. President Lincoln was requested to make some small remarks while Everett spoke for two hours. It was Lincoln's short remarks that have held. And with that, let's take our first break. So we're playing Commission an Album. This is one of my favorites. So I want you to pick a period in history. Could be in American history. Could be any world history. Alien history. Um, And I want you to choose an artist to create a concept album about that period in history. 
that's oh your com that's your commission an album. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I have always been fascinated by Egyptian history. Okay. I would want Nelly Furtado to do a whole album just on Egyptian history. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Great. Yes. Really like electronica. Oh, like I see. Like a full on like, like disco, electronica, mm-hmm. synthy dance album that's oh. all about Egyptian history oh. or all inspired by Egyptian Or history. Egyptian mythology maybe. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I feel like that could be summer 2022 dance oh, jams. yes. Or summer 2021, double that's summer. Right. That's right. Double summer, guys. Double vaccinated, double that's summer. That's right. Vaxed and waxed and relaxed. <laughs> um... Well, mine, I was like excited about this topic because I feel like it just came to me very naturally. And I think I would want to do like a 1920s jazzy flapper album that Lake Street Dive does because... Oh, well, I mean, Like, I mean, Wheelhouse, hello. Um, Fully. Because if you're not listening to Lake Street Dive, you should get on that train. Mm -hmm. Um Obviously (laughs) Exactly That's their most Um, recent album And also the first word Of the first song Right album so yeah i feel like they could really hit the nail on the head and i'm also feeling like new orleans coven vibes so i feel like you know maybe it's 1920s like new orleans oh full of ghosts full of ghosts and witches you've not been to new orleans i have yeah oh you did go when you visited for like maybe six or seven hours when i went to biloxi we have to go yeah i'd like to go Mm -hmm. there's an mps site in new orleans I'm sure there is. Yeah. We can go to the um, abandoned Six Flags. That's true. Mm-hmm. I literally went there in my youth. We would like to acknowledge that while walking around and touring the Gettysburg National Military Park, we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Iroquois. When we left off in our last episode, we had just arrived at the State of Pennsylvania Monument, which I think we might have called a memorial last time, but it's actually the State of Pennsylvania Monument, um, which felt really, really sort of very large. It's very grand. <laughs> it is very, very grand. You can tell uh-huh. that that's... Because they have monuments to other states. Yes. Around. Yes. But this is... Right. The monument for Pennsylvania. This is the monument of monuments on the Gettysburg battlefield. Ain't it though? Yeah, it totally is. While the audio tour sort of continued on a little further, I think at this point we were ready to kind of get out and stretch our legs. We were ready to get on our feet. A little bit more. Yeah. Um, And we kind of talked about this last episode, but like whenever we've had to sort of just drive around and we've done this in like arches after we did devil's garden, black Canyon of black Gunnison, Canyon of the Gunnison on the East driving road, and getting out South and looking yeah. and then driving and then getting out and looking is so there tiring. Is something very tiring about that. I was literally telling this to my mom the other day. I mm-hmm. was like, I remember getting to the end of the angels landing day, which ended up being like a 17 mile day. Mm hmm. Because we were like, we got off of Angel's Landing and then like just walked. Did five more trails. We did five more trails and walked back to the visitor center along the way. Mm -hmm. Not that we're talking about Zion here, but remembering that, I don't remember being as tired as I was like getting out and looking from the car at Mesa Verde. Yeah. Like that one day. Oh, we did that too. Yeah. That was like the first day. That was very tiring. 
I don't know what it is. I think it's just your body is not yeah, ready. <laughs> not, I guess not. <laughs> My body anyway, is not ready. So we did have yeah. to do a little bit of this on this day. Yeah. The audio tour brought us to the cemetery. We sort of like skipped a step or two here or there and just like got right to the cemetery. In though. order to, yeah, get to just there. get out and it's stretch. It's called yeah. the Soldiers National Cemetery mm-hmm. at Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And it is big. It is very big. 17 acres. And yeah. um, large. Very large, mm-hmm. but we were we pulled in and were able to park, mm-hmm. and we got out and we we went for a walk. Yes, in this cemetery. Yeah. So I do feel like this is maybe perchance, and again, we were there sort of in the middle of the week during the pandemic, and so there were still people, but I feel like it was quieter. When I've been there on school trips, it's been busy, but not crazy, not like throngs of people, but busy. This was like scaled down. Like if the field trips I've been on are were like a 10, this is like sort of like a five level. And I just feel like maybe the cemetery isn't as visited as maybe the rest of the battlefield sure. is. I don't want to sound morbid by any means, but I just feel like with cemeteries, people go to cemeteries to visit grave sites of people that were once alive that they knew. And when you have majority of the grave sites, well, when all of the grave sites are from 1863... Ain't nobody alive that remembers those people no more. And like, I know I'm not trying to be disrespectful about it, but I just feel like that's, you know, cemeteries, a large majority of people that go to visit are relatives, friends, family members. And so I feel like with a national cemetery, you get more, I guess, touristy sort of traffic. And I think maybe cemeteries aren't just everybody's jam, you know? Yeah, I don't, maybe not. Yeah. Um, It does provide a very beautiful walk. It's a very interesting space. Yes. And certainly something to see. Beautifully landscaped. There are a lot of trees. The trees all had um, placards to kind of let you know what the genus genus species was. Um, so that was really nice. I appreciate that when you're in a public space and those spaces are like, this is, you know, a pine tree, but here's the Latin name of the pine tree. Right, like, right. I like that. There was a monument right to Lincoln. His bust was there. Yes. It was sort of like a semicircular, like, stone wall, and his bust was sort of in the middle. There was also that pretty large monument as you walked into the cemetery a right. little bit. It is a cemetery, so... But it's a great walk. But it is a we, great walk. I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah, I think it's something to definitely like uh, close out a journey at Gettysburg with. That's not what we closed our journey with. But, you know, if you've seen everything else and you're looking to stretch a little bit, this is something to do. So after leaving the cemetery, we thought it was about time to actually get on our feet in Gettysburg yes. and do a walk because there are trails around and we were like, yes. in order to really see them, we need to get on them. So we started at the visitor center. Mm-hmm. We parked and we took a look at the map. Right. We didn't have like a physical map, though, because we couldn't get one from the visitor center. I think we were working with an online map. Right. We yeah. were. And looking at it, there was a way to sort of do. We were like, we'll do this big, gigantic loop. And Oh, that was like the entirety of the park. That was like the entirety of the park. Mm -hmm. And we were, you know, tired from like driving and looking and driving and looking. Right. It was like two or three o'clock too at this point. But we were like, we'll do all of it. And like, we didn't know what the mileage was on it or Mm -hmm. anything like that. No. So we... Just eyes bigger than belly all the time. Set off (laughs) to do it. Right. 
we got our stuff on. We left the visitor and we had, center. We had sort of planned for this too. Yeah, we yeah. knew we were gonna. Yeah. We wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. We left the visitor center parking lot. There's a trail that is right on the parking lot. Yeah, we and, were in parking lot three is where we got on the trail. And the trail that you pick up right from parking lot three goes through the woods for a little bit. Yeah, it's a paved path. It's a paved path through the woods. And then eventually it starts to go parallel with the road. Yeah, yeah Tanny Town Road is the road you're going to be parallel. Tanny Town. Tanny Town. Tanny There's Town also road. a lot of trails. So the parking lot area is really big at Gettysburg. Parking lot three is really not near the visitor center proper. We're kind of closer to the road itself. And there's a lot of trails that like will wind you through all the parking lots to the visitor center. So that's like its own paved section of trails, air quotes, in right. and of itself. Right. Yeah. This paved path that we were on is running parallel to the road. There's the part where there's the little bridge we have to cross. Yep. And there's like a little house over to the left. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have to cross the road. Yes. And one thing to kind of note, and I know we've said it in episodes prior to this, is that Gettysburg is really a great place to bike. It has a, it's kind of has this, I feel like built in bike culture yeah. to kind of see the, see everything by bike. Um, cause it we is thought about bringing our bikes. Right. We did, but we were kind of like, we did camping we did for the first think time. think about it. We yeah. didn't actually bring them. We were kind of nervous about just like, well, what do we do with our bikes when we're not at the campsite? Like, I don't think they can both fit in my car. Like we definitely we can't like, put them in the tent. Right. We were definitely having like agita about what to do with the bikes. So we were like, no bikes, but Dusty's right. You have to cross the road. You have to cross Tannytown road. And that basically brings you over to like another road essentially that you actually get on. And it feels almost like a trail, but it is actually a road. There's a national park like service station, like right there on the corner of that road. And there's also a ton of monuments here. So this is like another space of monuments that aren't on the auto tour. Like it's really cool to be able to like duck down there. And the one monument that sort of stood out on this road was to the 15th and 50th New York engineers monument. And it basically was like the facade of a castle. That's what it looked like. Yes, I remember that. There were other monuments, obviously, too, but this is the one that sort of stick out, stuck out in my mind as we kind of walked by it. It is kind of interesting to see, again, we talked about this in earlier episodes, just how the monuments differed. Some were so straightforward and standard. Like, here's an obelisk. Here's like a almost like a headstone type monument. And then you have these like sort of fancier monuments. And this is one of those for sure. As we walked on this road, I remember it's very green. There's some fence, mm-hmm. you know, here and there and around sometimes. But it this area felt very open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very open. Because it was hot. Oh, it was <laughs> and hot. And there wasn't no shade. And it was like direct sun beating on you for a lot of the walk from this point forward. We weren't going to get shade again until we were back in that wooded area on the the bike path or the the path that we'd started on. So I just remember feeling hot here and then hot on the way back and hot all the time. That's right. (laughs) That's right. From here, we turned left on this road, Hancock Avenue. Mm -hmm. We walked down Hancock Avenue. It sort of like started to descend a little bit. Like there's, you know, the descent of a hill there. The trail map said that we were eventually going to pick up on this horse trail. Yeah. And so we were looking everywhere for the intersection of this horse trail. Right. And eventually we see 
like jet off to our um it's it was on our left it was on our left and we're like okay i guess this is it so we like because it wasn't really on our right no except this little like another next road to the road there was like another road basically yeah. on our right so we're like okay i guess this is it so we like jump on this trail it was definitely a little narrow and very overgrown and i think at this point especially because it was sort of advertised where we you know where we saw park things like be mindful of ticks and we always are very mindful of ticks it was also very much so a horse trail it was like oh there's a pile of horse poop there's another pile of horse poop it was like you had to pay attention to what was under your feet we get to a point where we hit tanny town road again and we're like nope this is not what we were this supposed to do. This is not what do. we wanted to do. So we no. just have to turn around yes. and started to walk back. Yeah. And so keep in mind, the trails here are not necessarily marked trails. It's not like you're oh, on yeah. Soldier's Trail or like, you know, like Sickle's Trail. It's like, no. here's a map that's got a dotted green line on it. Best of luck to you. Best of luck. Yeah. We go back to Hancock Avenue. Mm-hmm. And from here, we basically cross the road to United States Avenue, which is the street that we should have gotten on, I think, in the first place. I guess so. I guess so. There is a, a wider horse trail that's off to our left here that we do duck onto. Yes. And it cuts through a field. Yes. And you can tell like, oh, this is definitely a horse trail now. Yeah. Um, I remember parts of that were a little muddy. Yes. But because it was a field, it was like you know, fairly, it wasn't mud. There was like grass and hay about. Yeah. It almost felt like a wagon trail because it was wide and it was like um, dirt and like some small rocks. There was a pond off to our left eventually. Mm -hmm. And then we had to jet across the road again, United States Avenue. And that took us into yet another field essentially. And that field was, we had it, we kind of cut across at a diagonal, but it was like a weird, you had to like, go up and then back to the left and then up again. It was sort of like a stair step that you kind of like walked through the right. field. I remember it was or following zigzag. it was, it wasn't elegant as far as like exactly where it was leading. No. And so as we're doing this trail, the sky, which was pretty beautiful all day, had some big white puffy clouds and the sky starts to kind of get very ominous looking. And we're like, Oh crap. And so I think we were just like, okay, well, we just drove in the car for like, you know, three hours and we're tired and it looks like it's going to downpour. We maybe should just like cut our losses here. We've seen a lot of Gettysburg. We got to hike a little bit. Let's sort of head back to the car and just like be safe about this. Right. And there wasn't really an elegant way at this point to just like be like, get back to the car there's there was no cut across we had to basically we came out to what was sickles road and emmitsburg road which is like a big emmitsburg was like a big road for the civil war it's like you you know where the confederate troops kind of like ended their charge which you'll hear about in just a little bit but um we had to basically walk up emmitsburg road on the side of the road right on the side of the road yeah i remember as it was getting stormy like we had there was there was a bridge and there was like a a mother with her two children yes. on the bridge yeah and um and a house like in the middle of everything yep. it was like oh that's someone's house yeah okay great and then yeah. we ended up that like put us right on that road yeah and or Emmitsburg Road mm-hmm. 
essentially we wanted to like make a loop yeah back to where we were rather than going exactly back the way we came exactly rather than taking a big gigantic loop around we were like let's just cut across here and we know that this goes up to here so we can take this up toward what would eventually be the visitor center yeah so we walk up the road for a while there are a bunch of fields off to our right, fenced off fields. There's a few farms that we pass. And then eventually we hit this opening in the fields that the grass is pretty overgrown, but it's clear that there's a path cut all the way through. And it's not a desire path because there's also a park ranger right there. Walking through the path. Walking too. through the path. We were like, hey, can we can we walk across this? They're like, oh yeah, this is like a path. You can go this way. It looked like they, I guess, were surveying something because we saw they were at the one end and then as we walked through the field... I thought there was like a camera crew with them. Oh, that's right. There was, there was a, camera a camera crew. 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 <laughs> there was a camera crew with them. I don't remember what they were filming though. I don't either. Yeah. But there was a camera crew with them recording something. Yeah. They were on a break as we were passing through. Mm-hmm. But that took us to another road right it basically brought us back to hancock avenue but we were higher up on it but we were higher up so we had us essentially walk down hancock avenue back to where the state monument to pennsylvania was because we had when we had started we had walked actually behind that and that basically put us back right onto the road where the new york monument to the 15th and 50th was yep and put us back on that trail that led us back to the visitor center. So at that point, it ended up just being a big backtrack. It ended up being a nice loop. Right. And it didn't take very long. No, but it was still good to kind of get out. And so we were like, as we kind of got back to the car, it was like clear again. Like the weather, it was sort of that like fake out June sort of summertime weather sometimes can be like, oh, it's going to thunderstorm, but it's actually just like some rumbly clouds and then they just pass by. And so to sort of that was what it was. So we weren't, we didn't want to head back to the campsite just yet. So we ended up driving over to West Confederate Avenue, which is where all of those Confederate monuments to the states are. We had driven there before earlier in the day and we had gotten out a little bit, but this is where we really got to sort of look around. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was glad that we did this because yeah. it is a very nice walk. There's a lot of incline and decline on this walk because there's a lot of hills. Yeah. But there's some, I remember there were some paths carved like through some of the trees next door mm-hmm. to the road. Yeah. And uh, this, I mean, that's where the, the gigantic Robert E. Lee statue is. The that's the monument to the state of Virginia. That's what that is. <laughs> yes, Grant. that is um, a giant pedestal with Robert E. Lee on the top of his horse on mm-hmm. top of it. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the biggest of the Confederate monuments. Um, that's there. Yeah, there were like we said in our earlier episode, some very dramatic allegorical explicit sculptures and then there were some very realistic like scenes of battle and things like that some bronze sculptures some things that are carved out of stone we definitely got to like read a lot more of the inscriptions and see exactly what the thought process was behind those monuments and why they were there and you know the reasons that those people that erected them thought they should be there i think we walked down the road almost we walked pretty far almost a mile i'd yeah. say and then we turned around yeah and then we 
came back. But it was such a great walk because yeah. a lot of that walk is in the shade. Yeah. And then you do get like total exposure to the sun for a little while. Yep. And also you get to see all of those monuments. And I did think one thing that I did notice were there were a lot of people that were out. A lot of people were just climbing all over the monuments, which I was just like, it's never a thing to really maybe to do, even if it's not <laughs> the best no, no, sort of monument. Not, no. It is still like a monument. I don't still, know. It's still like an artwork. It's, it's, it's still, a piece of public yeah, art. Yeah. And, you know, I... Uh, and it's on a battlefield, which is like, you know, I don't know. There's well, so many layers I, there. I think what you yeah. mean by climbing on it is like using it as like a, a jungle gem. Oh, yeah. That's what it was. Right. I mean, people. I understand if you're climbing on it to tear it down. <laughs> and with that, let's take our next break. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Poppy... Flowers, poppy flowers, poppy flowers. Well, poppy is the flower of remembrance yes. because they sell poppies. I believe it's for World War One. Was what? Like, did you ever go to the grocery store and they had like you know little old men outside selling poppy flowers? It's either World War One or World War Two. I'm no. pretty sure. That oh is, yeah, that is a that's, unique experience. That's why to I you. picked poppy flowers for this. Episode because yeah, this it was sort of like all about World War Two. It was sort of like and. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. The The Battle of Gettysburg during World War II. Um, not, that's not true. That's not true. Let's not, you know, misrepresent history. A lot, I mean, a lot of people I talk to are like, oh, yeah, Gettysburg and the revolution. And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. It's not, y'all. No. I, like, I thought, I didn't know much about Gettysburg either, but I was like, I remember going like, wait, oh, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So who is Poppy Flowers? Well, I feel like it's very easy to be surface level floral, Poppy floral. With sure. Her. I feel like she's like a very 60s mod twiggy queen. I like that. That like, seems right. If she's going to do a flower print, it's going to be gigantic and it's going to be this very like shapeless, and it's gonna be Andy short Warhol. dress, very Andy Warhol. <laughs> it's going to be a potato sack dress. Big eyes, mm-hmm. giant Tall hair. Bouffant hair. Right. Yeah. That's poppy flowers. Boots are made for walking by Nancy Sinatra. Go, go boots. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. Yep. Maybe that's her song that she sings. Maybe so. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like white, like, you know. White patent thigh leather. high patent leather boots. Oh, like, are you wearing the, the Chanel boots? <laughs> I am. I am. Oh, shut it, Serena. <laughs> You look good. Oh, <laughs> shut up, Serena. Um, That's for the Devil Wears Prada fans yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That seems like it rings very true. I feel like she could also, you know, have a 60s sort of song to to go with her. Her her act, I'm trying to think what she might lip sync to. That would be like more of like a 60s sort of... Downtown. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that's like sort of a given, you know? Obviously, that's the given. Right. No, that would be like a clip of a clip of mm-hmm. a song that she that might be do. what she enters to. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's her entrance music. Mm-hmm. And maybe she um, she sells those little like plastic poppy flowers. Except they're not plastic. She actually has real poppies because we don't need to add more plastic to the earth. Sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Or they're somehow biodegradable. Yeah. Whether they're real or whether they are right. 
They're biodegradable and they also have poppy flower seeds in them. So you can put them in the ground and you will get poppy flowers from oh, them. Oh, look at that. I do mm-hmm. like the idea of seeds. Me too. As like gifts mm-hmm. or as merchandise. Mm-hmm. So um, that, you know, a drag queen would hawk, <laughs> if you will. I'm hawking my seeds over here. I feel like she would also You perhaps, get them from the burpee catalog. <laughs> she would have like a... A makeup line mm. that's just very, very mod okay. and very sixties. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. and I feel like she would have a poppy flowers color palette of eyeshadows. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I feel like I don't know if you ever had it. This is just the person I was as a younger man. Um, the Austin Powers, the first soundtrack is very like 1960s. There like, you go. It's actually not, it wasn't bad, but that was also like, you know, when I also had the soundtrack to Cats and the Chumbawamba Tub Thumping album. So all albums I had. Don't right. judge my musical taste honey, at, as a teenager. Honey, I thought I was the only one who <laughs> no. had the best of Andrew nope. Lloyd Webber. The this like queen over here. three part mm-hmm. album and you had it. That's right. And I was like, that's how I know we're sisters <laughs> forever. Right. I think Poppy Flowers might also do eye makeup that can look like flowers. Oh. Just going to add that in there okay. too. Maybe she's got petal eyelashes. Exactly. Ooh. Oh, welcome to the stage is. petal eyelashes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Petal can open for her. Mm-hmm. Great. So Thades and Gentle Them, please welcome to the stage. Poppy Flowers. In the second day of fighting at Gettysburg, on July the 2nd, much of the ground that was already held by each side continued to be held. Despite this, there were some advantages on the side of the Union, as they not only held their defensive high ground, but expanded it further south to Big and Little Round Top. During an evening council of war, General Meade, despite holding his ground on both flanks, worried about the middle of his line. The July 2nd General Sickles' failure to obey Meade's order while serendipitously acting as a deterrent for an outflanking by General Longstreet caused a weakness in his line that could have been catastrophic to the Union holding their positions in the night's end. Meade knew that he needed to strengthen the middle of his line. General Lee's plan was to attack the center, believing it vulnerable. He would use divisions commanded by General Pettigrew, Trimble, and Pickett. These divisions would fall under the ultimate command of Lieutenant General James Longstreet. Despite Lee's vision and belief that the Union's middle was weak, a large problem lay before the forces of the Confederacy, about a mile of open field before they even reached the Union line. Not only that, but the Confederate forces would also have to climb two fences on either side of Emmitsburg Road before they reached the high ground the Union occupied. Prior to the Confederate attack on the eastern lines of the Union's forces, Confederate troops continued their assault of Culp's Hill in the early morning hours. Bolstered by reinforcements and artillery support from the Baltimore Pike, the Union held this position. This was not for a lack of fierce fighting by both sides. As the day waned, the action of the battle would shift toward the Union lines on Cemetery Ridge. Union General Winfield S. Hancock commanded the forces at the middle of the line near the, quote, Copes of Trees, 
which is a small grouping of trees, which the Confederates planned to focus their efforts on in order to break the line. Pickett and his 5,000 men had not seen any of the battle at this point, and having freshly arrived, they were to be the main force under the command of General Longstreet, bolstered by some other divisions to a force of almost 12,000. Longstreet, the commanding general of this offensive, did not agree with the charge and implored Lee to change his course, having seen a similar situation where the Union Army occupied a similar position as the Confederates did at Gettysburg. Longstreet saw in this previous engagement how the Union Army was decimated each time they charged. The ranks of the Confederate forces were close to a mile long as they charged towards Seminary Ridge towards its center. The initial conflict began with a volley of artillery from both sides but this did little other than to delay the battle. The Confederates had more cannons than the Union, and their goal was to knock off as many of these guns as possible before initiating their attack. The Union artillery commander, Brigadier General Henry J. Hunt, slowed the fire in an effort to deceive the other side into thinking that they had run low on ammunition. This deception worked, as after the volley of fire stopped, the Confederates mounted their offensive. The Confederates were under a constant volley of artillery fire from the Union forces across the field, which created gouges throughout their lines, shrinking it from a mile to half a mile as Pickett and the other generals continued their charge. By the time they reached the stone wall before the Union forces, there were only about 200 Confederate soldiers left from a force of about 12,000 that had crossed the field at this point. Under the command of Confederate General Armistead, they stormed this wall and engaged in hand-to-hand combat with the Union soldiers. Shortly after this charge of the wall, Armistead was mortally wounded. In the absence of any leadership, the remaining Confederate soldiers either retreated, were killed, or were captured. General Lee would retreat with the army back across the Potomac into Virginia. Protected by General Imboden and his cavalry brigade, who arrived too late to the Battle of Gettysburg to take part in it, he would provide support and protection for the miles-long train of wagons of seriously wounded and the walking wounded who straggled behind. And let's end this episode how we end all of our episodes with some Jeopardy-style trivia. Dusty, why don't you start? This category is accessing your art history knowledge. Great. So this is called Bad Reviews of Famous Statues. (laughs) Great. So you have to identify the famous statue and where it is. Oh, great. You can just say like, Country. The country. Okay. But if, if I know the city. But if you know the city or the museum. Right. You can add that too. I but will. you have to um, guess it based entirely on the bad review. Now, is this a bad review you've written or I wrote found? these bad reviews. Okay, great. So I, I imagined what bad reviews would sound like. <laughs> so I wrote them. Great. Here we go. For 100. Mm-hmm. Um, where are her arms? What is the Venus de Milo? And it is in the Louvre in Paris, France. That is right. (laughs) So sometimes that's all you get. Great. Okay, great. For Mm -hmm. 200. Wait, I thought he was supposed to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. That's just an open circle. How are we supposed to believe that? Um, What is the statue of Atlas at 30 Rockefeller Center in New York City? That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. For 300. Damn. I don't know what he's holding over his shoulder, but I wish it were me. What is Michelangelo's David in Florence, Italy? That's right. At the Academy? 
the academia, mm-hmm. right? For 400. Mm-hmm. This was totally my favorite one because I used to have a dog that looked just like him, but he never pulled any sleds. Um, what is the statue of Balto in New York City? Yes. Because you know I watched that Balto <laughs> cartoon. I love the Balto <laughs> cartoon. I remember like being like m- after moving up here, walking mm-hmm. through Central Park, and I have I was like, oh, that's Balto. Well, part of the Balto movie is like uh it's real, it's live action. Uh, yeah, at the that's end. how the end is. Yeah, like, you see it the was like statue. I was that little girl. Right. <laughs> we were all that little girl. We were. Mm-hmm. We were. We were. Mm-hmm. That's and, a movie I cried Oh, to. my God. Like the Jetsons So movie. many times. Mm-hmm. So many times to cry. We need to watch that movie again. Mm-hmm. Just cry. All that time. and The Last Unicorn. I've never seen it. I've never really? seen The Last Unicorn. Yeah. That movie scarred me. The sci-fi queer. This fantasy sci-fi queer. I can't believe queer. that. I know. That's sort of like. Shocking. I, know. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of overlap with the labyrinth no like last unicorn shares a lot of overlap with stevie nicks oh great stevie nicks fans so okay here we go finally mm-hmm. for 500 great like she's just sitting there on a rock by the water looking so sad it's so depressing um what is the little mermaid statue in copenhagen denmark that is correct that's right because you know what i mean i think there's a the city is really specific, but it is definitely Denmark. I thought it was Copenhagen. I but I maybe saw a di- it might be like an area of Copenhagen. Sure, sure, sure. Anyway, all but right. Yeah. Well, great. Look at you. You nailed that. Beautiful. So my category is called a copse of trees and other collective nouns because a copse of trees is a small grouping of trees. Oh, and I love look at you. Collective nouns. Like I like a Parliament them too. of Owls. Or um. What is a, a murder of crows? A flagrance of flamingos. What is the ravens? Uh, uh, a nevermore of ravens. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. If it's not, then that's yeah. the new one. Great. So here we go. For 100. To describe a grouping of clouds, you might use this, a French term for a baked egg dish or something that Lumiere sings to Belle. Cheese blank, hot hors d'oeuvres, while we only live to serve. What is quiche? Not a quiche. Though a quiche of clouds is cute. (laughs) Welcome to the stage, quiche quiche of clouds. clouds. Anyway, moving on. Out of the list. What is a souffle? A souffle of clouds. souffle, hot hors d'oeuvres. Got it. All right, great. For 200. A goring... Sounds like an apt term for a grouping of this professional who you might find among chucks, loins, and flanks. What is a goring of butchers? Correct. For 300, this very apt term for a grouping of geneticists must have come from something that they study all the time. Think a single, not a double. What is the helix of geneticists? That's correct. Are you serious? Yes, I am. Oh my gosh. Okay. For 400, this ballroom dance, not robot vacuum, is how you would describe a grouping of rattlesnakes. What is a Roomba of rattlesnakes? It's not a Roomba. A rumba? That's right. A rumba of rattlesnakes. A rumba of rattlesnakes. Great. And for 500. 
Whoever named a grouping of husbands must have encountered them after they, on a Sunday, were asked to do one more thing on the honeydew list after already running a ton of errands when all they wanted to do was watch football and, uh, and relax. What is uh, a disappointment of husbands? <laughs> it's basically, <laughs> it's an unhappiness of husbands. <laughs> and I added that in because I thought it was hilarious. Oh my God. No. Yeah, an unhappiness of husbands. This has been Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer was Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Middlesex County, New Jersey. (laughs) 